today to message number four in our series through the opening chapters of the book of Acts. We are looking at what a church that has been ignited by God's Holy Spirit looks like. The title of this series, as you see on the screen there, Church on Fire. And dear Crossroads family, I hope you know that this is to be more than just a historical study of what happened in the book of Acts. We need to catch this fire. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing when this church in coming weeks or months, whenever it is, calls a new pastor, when God's man is here, that he would discover this church is aflame, set on fire by the Holy Spirit. We began this series three Sundays ago with a message entitled Set on Fire. We looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost there in Acts Two And the next Sunday, the message was burning brightly. We saw what a church looks like that's hitting on all cylinders. Last week, the message was it only takes a spark. We studied together the first recorded miracle of healing there in the book of Acts, the healing of the lame man by the beautiful gate. And the spark from that healing miracle that literally spread like a prairie fire. And you note on the screen the title of today's message is Fighting Fire with Fire. We're going to walk our way through the first 31 verses of chapter 4. I want us to read the first 14 verses together, and then we'll just refer to those other verses as, as we go along, and I think that you'll see what is meant by that title. If you've got your copy of God's Word there, your smart device, I'm going to invite you to join me in honor of the reading of God's Word to stand as we show our reverence for the Scriptures. We read here out of Acts chapter 4, beginning there with verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, this is referring to Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. We said last week, that's just the men. If you you could double that number when you include the women and the children. So perhaps 10,000 or more who came to faith in Christ. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them, that is Peter and John, in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, don't miss this phrase, church, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus 
is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. You know, up until now, much of the book of Acts has really been about fulfilled promises that Christ had made in the Gospels. For example, Christ had promised that when he ascended to heaven, the Father would send another one just like him, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. That promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had promised that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. When he came upon them, they would receive power and they would be his witnesses beginning right there in Jerusalem. That had happened. The Spirit had come. They were witnessing throughout Jerusalem. And, of course, Peter stands up and preaches there on the day of Pentecost, bearing witness to the resurrection, fulfilling that promise of Jesus. Jesus had promised they could ask in his name to the Father, and he would accomplish great things. That had happened. Even last week, they used that name of Jesus to that lame beggar by the beautiful gate. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Jesus had promised, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that promise had come true, right? They were meeting together, loving on one another, selling possessions, taking the proceeds to meet the needs of those in the body of Christ. All these promises were being fulfilled. But I want you to note on your listening guide and there on the screen this one introductory truth, one promise of Jesus that had not yet been fulfilled in Acts was the promise of persecution. Now there had been a little hint of persecution there when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. For some mocked them when they were speaking in those languages that they had never learned and said, oh, oh, they're just drunk. But, I mean, real persecution had not broken out until now in Acts 4, even though Christ had promised it. You can go back and read through the Gospels over and over. He promised his disciples they were going to be persecuted. They would be hauled in before rulers and authorities, and people would even think they were doing God a favor when they persecuted them. And yet, we had not seen that thus far in the book of Acts. Now, things were going so great, right? The the church was exploding with growth. The gospel was spreading like wildfire. We, we could understand and, and forgive the disciples if they had forgotten that part about persecution. But now, in this chapter, chapter 4, we see that predictive word from Jesus coming true. We get another first, right? Acts chapter 3, the first recorded miracle of healing there with the lame beggar man. Now in Acts chapter 4, another first, the first outbreak of persecution. All heaven was breaking out and hell 
was not far behind. For you see, dear friends, fire not only brings the light, it brings the heat. And now the heat was on. And right into the middle of this scene of people rejoicing over the healing of this man who had been lame from birth, right into the midst of that time of praise and rejoicing, walked the town bullies. And they began to persecute the church for the first time. The heat of persecution is on. The fire of persecution. But we're going to see how these disciples and those first followers of Christ fought fire with fire. They fought the fire of persecution with the fire of power that came from the Holy Spirit and the fire of the proclamation of the Word of God and the fire of prayer that fanned the flames. Three main truths I want you to note with me as we kind of unpack these verses. First of all, notice item one. This is for us now, folks. When facing persecution, we must stand with confidence, not wilt, stand, not faint, stand, not turn and run away, stand. We were told there that some very powerful men, the priests, who were in charge of that institution, the greatest institution of Jewish life, the temple. They decided who could come and go in the temple. And the captain of the temple, he was outranked only by the high priest. They call in Peter and John, and they are beginning to persecute them. And I want you to notice a couple of truths at this point. I want you to notice how opposing forces can be intimidating. As a matter of fact, Dr. Luke, with his precision and his details, lists for us no less than 11 individuals or categories of people that were in opposition to the gospel, to the disciples. We mentioned the priest and the, the captain of the temple guard. And then as you go through there, he also mentioned the Sadducees. They were the ruling elite. They were the most dominant force in the political and religious life of Israel. If you know anything about Sadducees, you know that they did not believe in the resurrection. And friends, I heard it a long time ago. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you'll be sad, you see. And I guess that's where they got their name. But they arrest Peter and John. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail for the night. And then in verses 5 through 7, we read such words as the rulers. These were those men of authority like the chief priests, the elders, the older men of Israel, those heads of families, those chieftains, the scribes. These were like the theologians of the day that copied the scriptures. Annas, the high priest, he had been the previous high priest. Caiaphas, the current high priest, and other men. In other words, this was, this was serious business. And verse 7 says, they set them in the midst and inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? What they are doing is they are using the tool, they're trying to use the tool, of plain old intimidation. Think about it, church family. The wrath of the most powerful men in Israel of that day was focused on these two fishermen. These two common good old boys 
from Galilee. I mean, this is Goober and Gomer sitting there on the hot seat. And I imagine that those religious muckety-mucks, those authorities, those rulers and elders were thinking, hey, you guys might have looked like something in front of a beggar man, but let's see what you do in front of us. And so they asked, by what power, by what name did you do this? There it was, out in the open. This is the crux of the matter, the name. They brought up the name. Peter could not have been asked a better leading questions. Friends, this was a hanging curveball, and Peter was going to knock it out of the park. You want a name? I'll give you a name. What was going to happen was God was going to just co-opt the, the violence of these men who were in opposition, co-opt their evil and their attack to introduce the glory of the name of Jesus. I love what Psalm 76.10 says. God makes even the wrath of man to praise him. And folks, we, we understand this is not the same Simon Peter. Just a couple of months before, he had denied Jesus there in the courtyard of Caiaphas in front of a little servant girl. And now, he stands with confidence in front of the very council of men who are responsible for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He looks at all of that religious and political firepower, and certainly he thought, I've got them right where I want them. I may never have a chance like this again. And even though opposing forces may seem intimidating, I want you to note objective facts that are irrefutable. Simon Peter took his stand on two irrefutable facts, and so must we. One was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I stand here to remind you the resurrection of Jesus is the most well-documented fact in all of history. And Christianity and our faith stands or falls on the resurrection. Simon Peter actually quotes from Psalm 118, 22 about the stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone. And friends, on that cornerstone of the resurrected Jesus, Simon Peter took his stand and he stood with confidence and so can you. So one irrefutable fact, the resurrection. The other, transformation. The transformation of this lame, formerly lame now, beggar man who had never walked a day in his life. And now he had stood up, had jumped up, was walking and leaping and praising God. And that miraculous healing was absolutely undeniable. And if they wanted a name, Simon Peter had the name for them. And he gives one of the greatest statements in all the Word of God and in all of human history there in verse 12 when he says salvation is in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Oh, friends, it's not in the name of Confucius, right? It's not in the name of Buddha. It's not in the name of Muhammad. It's not in the name of Allah. 
It's not in the name of Moses or Elijah or David. It's only in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that people's lives are changed, are transformed, are healed. It was by the very name that those Jewish authorities hated. And if they were going to find deliverance from their own sin and really become right with God, they were going to have to place their trust in the very name that they had rejected. How in the world could that coward, Simon Peter, have that kind of boldness to take that kind of stand with confidence? It's all wrapped up in that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was able to stand against the fire of persecution with the fire of the Holy Spirit. He had been ignited by the resurrected Christ. Verse 13 tells us when they saw how bold these men were, and they saw that they were just common, uneducated men, they realized something. These guys have been with Jesus. In other words, in that particular context, they're remembering there was one who stood right before us about two and a half months ago that took this same kind of stand. These guys have been with him. The spiritual takeaway for us folks is if you want to stand with confidence, you need to be with Jesus. You need to have some intimacy with Jesus. Peter and John were not backing up, and they were not backing down. They were taking a stand, and here's how we take a stand. On the irrefutable facts of the resurrected Jesus and the life transformation that has come to us. Oh, friends, when facing persecution, we, we must stand with confidence. But note this second takeaway, the second main truth there on the screen. When facing persecution, we must speak with conviction. Remember what they commanded Peter and John? They commanded them in verse 15 not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. We might ask, well, how'd that work out? They could not deny the miracle. It was evident to all. And so they come up with this brilliant plan, and they tell these guys, listen, just don't teach anymore or speak anymore in this name. Friends, can I remind you today, the world always seeks to silence the gospel. Verse 18 says, So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This was their brilliant plan. Now listen, those religious authorities, those political figures, would have been tickle pink if the disciples had gone about Jerusalem living good, clean, holy lives. That's not what had them so riled up. They just wanted them to hush up when it came to sharing the name of Jesus. Lean in close to understand this. This is still the tactic of the world. The world will still say to us, go to church. It's all right. Free country. Believe what you want to believe. Read your Bible. You can pray. You can go through your rituals. Just don't speak. Keep your mouth shut 
when it comes to the name of Jesus. Don't try to force your beliefs on me. It's the tactic of intimidation. And friends, here's what's sad. Press into this. By and large, that tactic has worked. Far too many Christians are so easily intimidated. Instead of looking for an opportunity to speak out for Jesus, far too many believers are looking for excuses about why they can't. And notice again the focus of the fury of those in opposition to those disciples. It was the name. And I submit, it's still the name. People in the world don't get upset if somebody talks about a higher power or the man upstairs, right? Or the good Lord or even God or the Almighty. People say, God bless America. God bless you. You let somebody mention the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And friends, I'm telling you, people bow up. There is a resistance to that name. I promise you this, Satan hates that name. Satan fears that name. Dear Christian friends, let's do all we can do to honor that name. And to hold that name in reverence. To live in accordance with that name. And to proclaim that name. But while the world always seeks to silence the Gospels as witnesses, we've got to decide to share the Gospel. I love, I love what they said there in verse 19. They said, Peter and John said, now look, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you're going to have to judge. And then in verse 20 they said, for we cannot help but speak what we have seen and what we have heard. Friends, there's always going to be this choice between doing what seems to be right in the eyes of the world or what is right in the sight of God. And you need to take that phrase, right in the sight of God, and let it be the driving force of your life. Friends, that's all that matters. It's what we're doing and what we're saying right in the sight of God. I ran across something President Harry Truman once said. The ultimate test of any presidential decision is not whether it is popular at the time, but whether it is right. If it is right, make it and let the popular part take care of itself. I want every middle school student, every high school student, every college student to listen to the interim pastor today. You're going to be faced with many opportunities to have to choose between doing what is popular or doing what is right. Here's the difference. What is popular will fade away, but what is right will stand the test of time. Can I tell you what's always right? It's always right to speak with conviction the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To share your own story of life transformation. It's always right. And these fellows did that for two reasons. On the one hand, they had a command. Jesus said, you're to be my witnesses. Folks, we've got the same command. Those marching orders have not been rescinded. And by the way, it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. 
This thing about witnessing is not a matter of being gifted. It's a matter of being obedient. They had a command. We have a command. But they also had a compulsion. They said we cannot but speak what we've seen and heard. I'm saying even if Christ had not given the great commission, they would have still shared about him. And so should we. Because he lives in us. And his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And that will be our mission when we, like these men, have been with Jesus. And what were they to speak? They said, we cannot speak what we've seen and what we've heard. We've already said in this series, that's what a witness is. In a court of law, someone who just tells what he or she has seen, what he or she has heard. Uh, Dear Christian friend, you are an expert on you. Tell your story. When persecution comes, we must stand with confidence. We must speak with conviction. But I want you to note this third main truth on the screen there. When facing persecution, we must seek more courage. There, beginning with verse 21, we find this prayer is going to be formulated because the Sanhedrin is absolutely flummoxed. They're afraid to punish the people because they're fired up. All Jerusalem is humming. Peter and John might have been in jail for a night, but everybody out of jail in Jerusalem was excited. So we read in verse 21, they further threatened them, and then they they let them go. They found no way that they could punish them. Why? Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. The old boy was over 40 years old, Dr. Luke records for us. Everybody was excited. Everybody was thrilled. Everybody was just rejoicing, except the religious muckety-mucks. But what happens next? Two truths for you this morning. One is that the support of the body of Christ must be for us a priority. If you look there at verse 23, we read, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what had been said to them. When Peter and John got out of prison, they didn't head for the hills. They didn't lickety-split out of Jerusalem. They didn't run for their life. They made a beeline to the church, to their friends, probably still meeting in the upper room. Folks, just a reminder, double-click on this. We still need one another in the body of Christ to bear one another's burdens, to end encourage one another. That means to pour courage into one another. But here's something else. To speak with boldness for Christ must be our prayer. Verse 24 says, when they heard it, that is those people to whom Peter and John went, when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God. Folks, that's what we must do. We don't need to run to the politicians. We don't need to run to the educators. We don't need to run to the lawyers. We don't need to run to the experts. We don't need to run to the consultants. We need to run to God. And they had a prayer meeting. We're not going to cover all of that prayer. You can read it, verses 24 through verse 30. But I want to just say this. It's instructive to know what they asked for. The early church. Did they ask for destruction of the enemy? Did they ask for the way to be made smoother? 
Did they ask for protection? Or maybe a change of venue? God, get us out of here. No, no. Look at it, verse 29. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And they said, while you continue to do signs and wonders. In other words, they prayed for more fire. They prayed for more of what had gotten Peter and John in trouble to begin with. They prayed for more boldness to speak the Word of God. And the last verse of our text today tells us in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken, shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what they did? They spoke the Word of God with boldness. The fire of the Holy Spirit had put a burning passion in their hearts to speak the Word of God, to share the gospel. Folks, I'm all for seminars on witnessing and conferences on witnessing and retreats and books and everything else to help us learn how to witness, but none of those things will make us witness. The only thing that can make us witness is not a thing. He is a person. He is the Holy Spirit of God in us who will move us and motivate us and make us witness. By the way, the only reason we're gathered in this place today, almost 2,000 years later, singing about Jesus, having a message about Jesus, praying to Jesus. Listen, the only reason is God answered that prayer. And friends, here is a prayer he still loves to answer. The prayer for more boldness to share him. Will you pray a prayer like that? I want to give you a modern day example. This sounds like Book of Acts stuff. It happened in the 1970s in Romania. Romania at that time was under a communist dictator who ruled harshly, but the church was alive and vibrant. There was a leader in the church named Joseph Son, T-S-O-N, in the Romanian language, he would be called Yosef. Yosef Son, a pastor, a bold preacher of the gospel, was arrested many times. And just like in the story we've just covered, he was commanded to hush, to quit teaching and preaching about the name of Jesus. And many times they'd only arrest Joseph Son or Yosef Son, they would beat him. On one occasion, he was being interrogated by the local police. He was being beaten. And finally, the threat come, Yosef, son, if you keep this up, I'm going to kill you. To which he said, well, I need to give you a warning. If you use your weapon, you're going to force me to use mine. And his interrogator said, what are you talking about? Yosef, son, said, you're ultimate weapon is killing. My ultimate weapon is dying. So if you use your weapon and kill me, I'm going to use mine. And then he said this, Joseph Son said, if you kill me, my popularity will explode. My tapes, my sermons will multiply. People will want to hear what I died for. My message will speak much louder if you kill me because you kill me. God will use 
my death to conquer this country. I'm warning you, if you use your weapon, I'll use mine. And the fellow said, Joseph, son, you're crazy. Get out of here. And he released him. The next morning, Joseph son walked out of his house. He was going to head down to the gathering place for his church. And there were two policemen standing there outside of his door. And he just held out his hands, helped, turned his wrist up, thought they'd handcuff him like they had before. And those policemen said to him, Joseph, you don't understand. And we don't really understand. But we're not here to arrest you. We're here to protect you. We have been given strict orders to follow you around everywhere you go and to be sure nothing happens to you. Now, I'm going to tell you, God used Yosef Son, and communism in Romania was overthrown, and the church exploded with growth. When I read a story like that or watch a story, go to YouTube. You can watch his testimony, T-S-O-N. Joseph or Joseph son. I think, man, what an amazing story. But folks, listen to your interim pastor. God wants you to have your own story. God wants you to have stories that cannot be explained any other way except the fire of the Holy Spirit burn through you. So I'll bring us to this, this final concluding statement there on the screen. Look at it. Let's ask God to give us more boldness to stand for Him and to speak His Word. And we will see amazing things happen. Oh, dear friends, it's time to fight fire with fire. Amen? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We come to the time of God's invitation in a moment, we're going to sing a song to the Lord Christ. We're going to ask Him to be magnified. And I'm going to tell you a way He will be magnified in this place. If there's a somebody you or you or a couple of you or a family you that would come today, Pastor Brandon and I will be standing at the front as the praise team leads us in this song, this prayer for Christ to be magnified. If you want to receive Him, if you want to profess Him, if you need to follow Him in baptism, if you need to join the church, whatever the commitment of life today, you come, take one of us by the hand, and we'll take it from there. Maybe for most of us in the house today, there needs to be a fresh surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and the fullness of His Spirit so we can what? Stand with confidence. Speak with conviction, but always, always seek more courage. Pray for more boldness. Maybe that will be your prayer today. Lord, have your way now in this invitation and give courage to those who need to respond. May they come. As you lead them, we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Amen.